Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is the post-game pod following the Sooners' victory at Cincinnati. The Sooners go on the road and win 20-6. Defense led the way, just like I was hoping for and sort of forecasting. Offense did not, and we'll have a lot to talk about regarding that. Um, but to start off with, I'm Steve. Lucas. Jay. Connor. So as you may have seen in our uh, post-game video, we were previewing some of our thoughts. We weren't all together to watch the game, so we got some pretty independent views on it. But before we get to that, let's talk about our sponsor. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Tobacco Exchange. As a reminder, they have three great metro locations, um, Moore, Oklahoma City, and Edmond. The best selections, the best prices, and a very knowledgeable staff. Right now, we got a little bit of time to continue to take advantage of this. We have a special going on at General through General Cigars. It's a buy four, get one free. That includes CAO, Punch, Cohiba, Sancho Panza, and Macanudo. So some wonderful cigar options. Buy four, get one free. Be sure to take advantage of that. Lucas, tell us what we're smoking tonight. Tonight we've got a Sancho Panza double Maduro and it looks, it's very dark, but it's smoking very medium right now. It's uh, got some great flavor, but it's not overbearing. I can vouch for that. Yeah, we were a little concerned that, the, that it might be just an overpowering cigar here at the end of an evening, but it is absolutely hitting the spot. Really, really good. So thank you to Tobacco Exchange. Be sure to go and take advantage of this offer. So let's get right into the game, guys. We were a little bit, um, I would say, disappointed in a 20 to six victory. Um, let's let's start by talking about the offense and before I guess before we get to that let's let's do give congratulations to the Sooners they are 4-0 it's the 17th 4-0 start for the Sooners um, going back to 2000 the year 2000 and that is the most in FBS football so that's that's something to be pretty proud of part of a continuing streak of of great football play but this 4-0 start is not as good as some of the others in the past and not as good as we think maybe it should be. I think, I'm going to interject to say, uh, presumably we could be better because our offense is not as good as, as it legitimately could be. So who wants to start talking about the offense? I mean, I can go because um, I've been the biggest levy detractor going into last season and <clears throat> continuing into this season. Um, the defense was doing everything they could to keep us in this game by stifling the the uh, Cincinnati offense and getting us okay field position. We had a couple drives where we give a first down. They punt it down inside the, the 10 or 15. And it just seemed like no run game again. Um, I, think, I don't think any of us really thought we'd have a great run game because they have a pretty solid defensive line. So I thought we'd probably have like 130 yards, and I think we ended up with 103 105. or 105. Um, so that's not too terribly unusual to me for what I thought going in. They tried to incorporate Gabriel running the ball, which worked a couple times, and then obviously he fumbled on a missed uh, – was it Marcus Major missed a block? Marcus and, Major whiffed on a block, and yeah. And then um, Gabriel fumbled inside the 10, which was yeah, backbreaking five. at yeah, that it was point. Awful. Well, yeah, being inside the 10 is inside the 5 also. But um, – <laughs> Anyway, a little uh, less significant, but okay. But early on, but that on that drive, it was after he had missed a wide open Farouk. He yeah. had the closest guy to him was probably four yards behind him. There was two guys trailing him on either side by four yards, and he overthrows him by four or five yards. So, and what's frustrating about that throw? That's a routine throw for a good quarterback. Yeah, 
right? I mean, for, I mean, it was about a forty-five yarder or something. Yeah, like but that. for and, and for what everyone that, is wanting to, for what all the local pundits are wanting to chalk Dylan Gabriel up to being this this great quarterback, that should be a routine throw. Yeah. Well, and, you guys are hitting my notes. And he had the underthrow also on. Um, yeah. That should have been a pass interference that Andrew Andrew Anthony came back and caught, which was a great catch because the it defender that had one of his arms down and he was able to to just pull it out enough to to trap the ball with his right arm and his left hand. It's a 10 or 15 yard underthrow. It's not just yeah. an underthrow. It was a, a horrendous pass. And again, he's putting a ton of air. Every deep ball looks like a punt practically. He's throwing it so high. As opposed to the ball we saw Jackson Arnold throw to Nick Anderson at the Tulsa game that was perfectly shaped and right on a dime. Well, and what's ironic is we won't, we won't when we're in the red zone or, or pushing for a touchdown, we won't throw those balls that need the air under them to a Jaden Gibson in the corner of the end zone or something like that to, to go and get it. Yeah. We're throwing those balls down the field when it should be on more of a rope, more on a line. Um, so, yeah, completely concur with what Lucas is saying. So I have to ap- absolutely agree with this. I'm very frustrated and concerned. I honestly think that the Sooners are in trouble down the stretch with Gabriel under center. We, we look at the Farouk underthrow that ends up, or overthrow, which ends up being a missed opportunity for a walk-in touchdown. We fumble the ball a few plays later. It happens to be Gabriel who fumbles. The Stoops throw that's behind him um, across the middle in a critical dr- position. We just saw numerous underthrows, misthrows, misconnections. He had one good completion across the middle, but the criticism there is you're missing Stoops, who had completely left his man and is 40 yards further downfield wide open and would have challenged to have gotten into the end zone on that catch, but definitely puts us in scoring position. So what I have to say is all those out there, I'm, not, I'm sorry. I, I like Dylan Gabriel a lot. I'm rooting for the kid. Quit telling me he's good enough. Quit telling me he is the guy who is going to lead us to championships. I don't think he can be. I don't think he's good enough. He is significantly underperforming in the little marginal areas you have to do exceptionally well in to play championship football. All anybody can focus on is going into this game was his 82% completion. But when you look at the tape or you go to the games like we do, you realize all of those completions for the most part, are under five and six yards. Well, and what's funny is he averaged three he, yards per throw. He matched his he matched his incompletions from last week within what the first drive and a half this week. He was only or today. Yeah, he was only sixty eight percent completions today. So I mean, and, and again, I, I think that's Lucas. To your point. One of my most frustrating critiques of the supporters of everyone who is on this, you know, side of Gil- Dylan Gabriel. Is they want they want to focus on every little thing that he does correctly, and not all of the things that we see that we've brought up that we see is is incorrect or lacking. And yeah, it's one thing to have a completion, but as we've pointed out in the past, a completion to a guy that is immediately tackled because you underthrew the ball is significantly different than hitting the guy in stride who has a chance to break that tackle, or it's not even going to be touched because you hit him in stride and is down the field further. Those are really important things. His best throw of the day was the one where Cincinnati had an extra guy who was running off the field, so he had a free play. So I don't know if it was just because there wasn't any pressure on that because he knew he had a free play, but Stoops does a post route right over the middle. That was a nice throw. And hits him perfectly in step, and then Stoops 
gains in, you know another ten or fifteen and yards. That, and that's after the thing the catch. is is Gabriel has some some moments, right? Yep. Like he has some moments where I'm like, oh, that is a good throw, but it's inconsistent. But it, exactly, and you go back to that consistency, and it's not there. It's he could have a ten out of ten graded throw one play, and the next play you're just like that. That's a completely different quarterback that I'm seeing on the field. And I, I Steve, you kind of made the stand last uh, post game. I'm gonna make it right now. I am I'm completely in the boat of Jackson Arnold of of handing the reins over. And I do think it is it's unfortunate because it's gonna take something like a loss or a significant deficit in a game uh, like we're gonna see in a couple weeks against Texas for a change and I hate that because I, I think at that point it may be too late. It may be too late down the line to get what we need to from a, a winning standpoint um, at this at this quarterback. Well, position. short of an injury, which none of us want to see happen, or a loss on the field, I think it's extremely unlikely we see Jackson Arnold take over. The only thing I could see is in a situation similar to when Spencer Rattler was benched twice in the Texas game. And if Jackson Arnold can come in in a situation like that, even if it's intended to just be relief, but he is so successful, which he's going to have to be hitting on all cylinders, then maybe he wins the job or at least starts to win in the eyes of the, the coaches. But I'm just really confused by why they seem so stubborn against putting him out there. What are they seeing that we're not seeing? I guess they're not going to tell us. Yep. But so there, I, there must be something, or they're just biased. So I think for some of our listeners, I mean, in layman's terms, what we're trying to get at is that there's points left on the field, right? You can look at the statistics, and he does a good job. You can see that he can, completes a pass. You know, congratulations. But there are several points in this game alone. It could have been put out of reach. There was 11 points in the first half. Yeah, right I mean, it could have been 21 nothing at halftime. Yep. It's a totally different defensive game plan. It's a totally different offensive game plan. Cincinnati's dejected. You know, it it changes so much of the dynamics. Yeah, you, you of put the continuation of the game. You change things up for your defense too. So You're taking pressure off of them. People might feel like we're being hypercritical of Dylan Gabriel, and but again, we try and view this through the lens of what's this going to affect later in the season in bigger games against better opponents, potential playoffs, etc. Those are the plays that cost you championships or just victories against good opponents. And I am a homer. Like, that's the thing. It's, I, the the base of, basis of this podcast is founded on a couple of guys who are very homeristic and Lucas, who's just an asshole, towards OU a lot of the time. But I am considered a homer, and I see those things. Like, I'm on, I'm on board with Lucas's criticisms. I, I, in a lot of cases, I'm... I'm driving a lot of those criticisms. Like, it is so starkly obvious to me that what we see on the field offensively right now is not going to be a product that puts us over the top and puts us into that playoff position, puts us into a Big 12 title con- uh, position, and, and more importantly, a national title c- uh, position. So, And I, I'll say that I think the best way to describe it, following up on what you were saying, Jay, is a point that you raised last time, and that is... What is the floor and what is the ceiling? I think it's clear that we are seeing Gabriel operate at his ceiling. He is a very veteran quarterback, playing for the coach that he's played for for a long time, 
it is extremely hard to believe he has anything left to actually learn and get better at. I don't think you're going to see anything better out of him. What you see is what you get. And as far as how bad he could get in yeah, he's floor... Do, he's done developing. He's done developing. Yeah. His floor is very high. But Jackson Arnold's floor is about the same, and his ceiling is much higher. So from either respective competing this year or building for the future, both of those, in my opinion, point towards put Jackson Arnold on the, on the field and let's build for the future, but also possibly give us the best chance come November, come December, January, to be playing the best possible football we can be playing and to be doing what it takes to win big, difficult games. Texas is going to be a very difficult game in two weeks. Whoever we face, if we were to get to the Big 12 title, will be a difficult uh, opponent, no matter who it is. And it looks like it's a good chance it would be Texas in that scenario. And obviously a bowl game or a playoff game is going to be against very high-quality competition. I just don't see Dylan Gabriel getting that job done, most likely. Or I should say it differently, I see Jackson Arnold giving us a better probability of victory in those late-season and postseason games. The other thing that I think is a, a bit of a hypothesis is and you alluded to this, Connor, when you talk about the offsides giving him a free play and it was a great completion to Stoops. I don't know if Dylan Gabriel handles pressure really well. I think that in pressure situations, he closes down and doesn't see the entire field. And he also gets a little jittery on his feet, but he also seems to want the ball out of his hands in weird ways. I'm going to go to the end, near the end of the game. We get the ball back with 7.52 or something, 7.41 on the clock. I don't remember. We end up only running one minute of, of clock time, which was pathetic play calling to begin with. One of them was a weird little flat dump off. I don't know what it was to the outside that nearly was a fumble. No, it was a fumble. We lost four Or it was a fumble, yeah. right. Yeah, nearly a turnover. And he had why he gave the ball away, why like, everything about that was messed up. And then we, we run the ball, and then he is a pressure situation and ends up getting an a intentional grounding call by not knowing take the sack or throw the ball far enough so it's not intentional grounding. But if you take the sack, the, ball keeps run, the clock keeps running. Yep. It's little critical mistakes like that that are going to set us back when we need to be playing at a higher level. And that's a critical time in the game. The game was still in doubt at that point. I just don't know if he has what it takes. He played at UCF and had a lot of success. That's not a big-time program that faced a lot of big-time adversity. <coughs> exactly, and that's, that's relative to the program he's at. Every right? time he's facing adversity, it seems to be a bit of a challenge for him. We look back to the TCU game last year. That was a very challenged game for him. Well, and you say something that really strikes me as well and something I even – I mean, it's beyond noticeable in my opinion is – the guy doesn't want to be – he doesn't want the ball in his hand when there's a doubt in the play. Yeah. And beyond that, with some of the throws he makes, he is so risk-averse in terms of some in, – in terms of what looks like a fear to throw an interception. Yeah. That it throws – We talked about that all last it year. It throws so many of his his plays and his and his reads and, and what he thinks is going to be a successful pass. It, it makes him completely impossible in a lot of cases. And you see it – in the uh, the pass that he should have hit to f- hit Farouk on in the end zone in that same drive where he ends up fumbling, that's that's a touchdown for most grade A quarterbacks where he overthrows it because of what I I feel is a fear to make a mistake. And we talked about in the last two pods, I think that 
we we thought we might get to see like a Chris Lee Tim Tebow situation where maybe Gabriel plays three series and then Arnold comes in for a series or something like that. But I think now we won't get to see that because the coaches don't want a coaching controversy or a, a controversy, controversy between who they should be playing. And then we find out that Brent Venables is shutting down his Monday coordinator press conferences because for time concerns. And they're, he's just going to have his Tuesday one. So now the media won't get to ask questions to Jeff Levy or Ted Roof, but there are questions to be had. There and are. It That's... seems like they're doing it because – they don't want to answer tough questions about multiple things on the offense, such as, you know, how come Jackson Arnold didn't get a chance when Gabriel was kind of struggling there at some point today? Um, running back rotation. Running back rotation. Why is it that Sawchuck and Barnes didn't step on the field to take a handoff today, even though Barnes carried the ball last week against Tulsa and Sawchuck still to this point, even though he was our best running back after the Florida State game, hasn't. What does he have? Three carries this whole yeah, season. Yeah, and, and screw screw all of the. And maybe he had some injuries the first game, but yeah, the last three he has. Screw all the talk that Jeff Lebby drives with the hot hand and stuff like that. You were not going to tell me that Jav- or that Javon yeah that Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk are not your best one-two punch on the, within that room. When you run for 105 yards, you can't say anybody had a hot hand. No, and how many of that is Dylan Gabriel as well? Yeah, I mean a, a good. 20-something yards is, is Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, and Jeff listen, sweeps, like, a lot I mean, of our listeners and a lot of the people who hear us comment on this stuff are, are saying we're focusing on the negative. I refuse to choose a lesser evil at this point in time. I expect like very good play on both sides of the ball. I'm not going to say our defense is playing well. Take what you can get. We did that for X amount of years with Lincoln Riley where we sat back. And that was the basis of my homerism was I got to sit back and look at an offense year in and year out who could go put up points but was uncompetitive on the def- defensive side of the ball, and I had to act like everything was okay. And I'm Sawchuk's, so tired of doing Sawchuk's that. Sawchuk's dad on Twitter also put out a, a gif that didn't seem too positive about the he seems lack of use. Well, I think what we're getting at is the standard is higher. It's Oklahoma. We expect championship football. We aren't looking for excuses, and we're looking for – what we know to be the goals of this program, and that is excellence in all facets and capacities. And as they get better, the demands get higher. And we want and expect better performances in all, in all respects. And I think we're looking at it pretty objectively and pretty intelligently to say we see some shortcomings here, even though, but for the success that we've had, we definitely need to be thinking about where do we get to get to the next level. What do we have to do to achieve the next plateau? 4 0 is great. 4 0 is wonderful. We keep, we keep playing like this. We were we 9 0 in 2021. We will not win the games that we need to win. And the fan base was, was restless about it, and rightfully so. They need to be restless about this. Now, let me say this is not a criticism of Dylan Gabriel as much as it's a criticism of Jeff Levy. And that's why we're a little concerned about the the decision to not have press conferences with the coordinators because these questions need to be asked and it's a great transition to talk about running back because it alludes to the fact that this is an offensive coordinator focused problem this is not a dylan gabriel problem we think he's playing as great as he can we applaud and appreciate what he's doing for the sooners and what he is in terms of um, a great player for oklahoma but we need to make sure we've got the best possible players playing if we're going to get to the level we expect to get to and the excellence we want to play at 
And that's as much true in the running back position as it is at quarterback. And that those are great concerns. Where is Barnes? Where is Sawchuck? Why is the run game not working? Um, is it, it another question for an offensive coordinator? Is is it that you don't think that Sawchuck or Barnes can pass block as good as or run block for Gabriel or whoever your quarterback is as good as Major can, as good as um, Walker can? Is that the reason that they are getting all the snaps? What is it that you see that puts them now in the lead position one and two? over these other guys who were better than them last year. We Something had a patchwork of... offensive line in the Florida State game. Yeah. We had both tackles decided to sit out because they were going to the NFL, and yet both of the guys we're talking about not playing handled the pass, pass block just fine in that game against a Florida State team that's dominating college football currently, really. And they didn't – I don't remember any major blow-ups in the, in the Florida State game where – Sawchuck missed a giant block and we got sacked or anything like that. So I'm just tired of the hypocrisy. I don't see how that could be. Like the hypocrisy of, of Lebby. And we, that's the, another thing we don't know. Is, and, it, is it Lebby or is it DeMarco decide who goes on the field? Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm going back to the, the press conference before the Tulsa game where Lebby explicitly says we got to get two and 27 on the field. Okay, great. Where are they? He, where, got, he got Barnes in and Tulsa. You get Barnes so. against Those were the only two. Those are the only two that saw the field. Because it's it's like we're ha- on a two back rotation. It's like they're trying to save. Each. It's like next week, all yeah. your the only two running backs they're going to play are going to be Barnes yeah, and Sawchuck. They're yeah. packaged. Yeah, yeah, it's odd. It's very odd. And if that's the case, okay, what's the theory? It's there? very what's open to cri- criticism. What is, is what's it happening? Just a saving them, like giving them rest in between every other week that they're playing. But to me, you can't run an offense like that. It makes no sense. Well, that's and it just keeps coming back to what's the theory? What's the what what is the philosophy that you're working under here? Help me understand it so that I'm not criticizing, so that I'm buying into it and giving you a chance. But it's really hard to give you a chance or the benefit of the doubt when what we're seeing is a real lackluster performance. Now, we only rushed for 105 yards. We were playing the best D-line that we've played to date, maybe the best one we'll face all regular season. All that said, you're still trying to run the ball a lot. You're giving up on... The, the short intermediate pass in first down situations early in the game, we're seeing it time and again where you're forcing the run come hell or high water. The question becomes, why are you doing that? What are you thinking is going to all of a sudden bring success? It's one thing to say we want to keep them honest. It's another thing to say you're clearly trying to get the run game established regardless of the fact that it's not working. Well, and it's just it begs so many questions to just the – and we've touched on it so many times. There's the play calling in general. We saw one drive. Austin Stogner lined up in the backfield three times in one drive. Great transition. One of, one of our that. least productive skill players, in my opinion, on the field, is lining up in the backfield, <coughs> and we I don't I don't even know I don't even know what to think of it. Like it it's, the, it's it could be the number one question mark of personnel decisions that on the entire. But it, it, and it points to just a stubbornness and a a prideful mindset of Jeff Lebby to not only say I don't even think that the, I, not only that the tight end position or the H-back position is is lacking because it is but more so I'm going to put them in the position to go make a play that I know he can't make well, he, it's unfair to Austin Sogner and the rest of that group to be doing that that's right it, it, that that's that's a really good point I think it raises a lot of questions it um 
suggests to me that maybe, and I don't know, did Levy play an active role in trying to get Stogner to come back, transfer back here, and now his mind is focused around, well, I got to use must, him. I got to use him. It must have been a good idea because I wanted it, and it's going to seem like a bad idea if I don't play him. And you got to lose that sunk cost mentality. You got to go forward with whatever is the best decision now uh, in the light of new information. And some of that new information is Stogner's missing blocks. Stogner's not a threat down the field. Stogner doesn't have great moves or great hands. Why are you running a five receiver set with him and not Petaway? Or, might as well put a, or put a, Jaron Koenig back there. Might as well put a sixth offensive lineman at tight end. If you want to run a max protect. Um, why Why did we see so little Anderson? We, we don't know the snap count quite yet, but it seems like he did not get on the field very much after some very big catches early on. He was... The, the stats were misleading. He was targeted either four or three times. He definitely had three receptions. The, the question becomes, why isn't he on the field? Why isn't a petaway on the field as a much better threat as a receiver than Stogner? A playmaker. A playmaker in petaway. Um, that's confusing. Uh, some of these decisions they're making seems like it's not, maybe it's not that well thought through at all. Maybe we're giving them too much credit for a master plan and they're either delegating to coaches in in the position coaches or it's just sort of the default of this is what we designed weeks ago and we're sticking with it and we're not rethinking everything to think wait a second if i wanted to draw this offense up from scratch today based on what i know why wouldn't we have these guys in there playing in these positions that's my biggest concern is i I don't. I think Jeff Levy establishes a game plan. I don't think he at all thinks about deviating from that, whether it be in-game adjustments or adjustments based on personnel or anything else. I, I do not think – I think whatever he has drawn up, he sticks to and thinks it's going to work regardless. How about the first play coming out of half that – who was it? Was it Freeman that went in motion? Mm-hmm. And then – like, Gabriel was looking over, yelling, like, hey, you need to come in motion. And Gabriel glitched. Like It was both, unbelievable. I think both of them did. Because then by the, time, by the time he's running in motion, he had to stop because the ball was getting snapped in front of him. And the play was completely out of sync. And it's the first play back from halftime. And, but, you just went in the locker room for 20 minutes exactly. to talk about what you're going to do because they know it we're getting the ball. It should be scripted. You're getting the ball in the first drive. You should have those first 10 plays scripted or whatever coming but out of what's, half. But what is hilarious and you, and is that play, play. that play doesn't work. That we run, a, we run a play on second down for, I think, one or two yards. Levy's like, all right, this has to work. Runs the same damn play. Runs yeah. the same play to Freeman for a three-yard loss. Unbelievable. It's like, hey, I promise, guys, this is going to work. Regardless of what, what the defense is setting up as or anything else, I'm going to make sure that we run this because I know it's going to work. And I see so much of that bullshit off the edge where it does not freaking do anything. I, I love Gavin Freeman. I think he's a, an explosive player. You are putting him, him in impossible positions because we are, not, we are outmanned on the outside so many times. Over and over. It's unbelievable. And we don't have the blocking for jet sweeps the same as we don't have the blocking for the run game. And I... I'm not saying it's something you don't try occasionally, but you've got to realize, let's go work on that in practice and get it down to something manageable and workable with an expectation of success before we try to force it in games time and again. And there one, are other one, things that are working. Stick one with positive thing I saw about Gabriel is he had a couple of instances, one very 
memorable, and I'd have to go back and watch what, what the scenario was, but he had that check down uh, out to the flat one time, and he looked at it like it was going to be this, like typical Dylan Gabriel, this is what I'm going to run, and goes from that to a read that's like an eight-yard pass, someone sitting down on a route, and he takes the eight-yard pass instead. So that is a positive part of it, but regardless, like, you see, you see just that tendency, both from from Gabriel, but again, it's more of such a reflection on Lebby, um, of anything else. I mean, that's that we ran that poll a couple weeks ago. I still go back to to play calling, and I think it's so limited in what we're doing right now. Do you think they don't give Jackson Arnold um, meaningful First regular quarterback snaps for the exact reason of? not wanting to deal with the conversation? I would hope not. These guys are paid millions of dollars. They're Surely, surely they're not doing I that. I don't know. I, I don't know I, either. I, I, because I if, if he comes in and does what he's supposed, or what we all think I mean, he what can he's do, done? and what we've seen him do in a very <laughs> small amount of time, yeah. it would be, you would be fabricating your own quarterback controversy. And I, I wonder... Or you mean covering it up? No, you would be creating your own by if you let him showing play. him, showing him, the showing stuff. the fans and us what he can do. I mean, the throw that he made to Nick Anderson against Tulsa. We keep going back to that because that's the absolute perfect play. If he does that three times in a game, that's three touchdowns, more than likely. Well, and dropping the ball yeah, in a bucket from yeah. from 35, 40 yards against tight coverage. The difference that we're seeing those are touchdowns. is with with Arnold. He's making the throws we're asking and wishing that Gabriel could make. And maybe we're wrong and and the sample is just biased, but as limited as it is, all I can go off of is what I've seen. And That's I've what seen I'm saying. it in That's three why I think games. They don't they that, don't let him run meaningful plays with the first team offense in say the second quarter for that exact reason. They don't want the headache of I don't think that's it, but I don't know. It is a back to a question that should be asked of an offensive coordinator that's not going to get asked. And, and honestly, to criticize some of the media, if not all of them, I don't think they got the balls to ask that question. They ask a lot of questions like, how did you feel about winning? Uh, how is the what, culture different? What did you have for breakfast today? Let's ask the tough questions. Earn your keep and, and do your job and find out these things that are obviously pertinent questions. And those guys should be prepared to answer them if they're not. We need to know that. And everyone should be asking those questions. Brent should be asking those questions. He needs to be involved in that to see what it is. I'm really afraid of a it's good enough situation that we're going to let us coast with a defense that's bailing us out with great, great play. And we'll get to the defense in just a minute. That's not going to win you down the stretch. Defense wins championships, whatever the cliche is. Great play wins you championships. And sometimes it's defense and sometimes it's offense. And Dylan Gabriel is not Stetson Bennett. The reason people say defense wins championships is because a lot of times you're looking at teams that offensively are really good and have an off game and the defense wins it for them. But it's true in the other respect as well. The flip side of the coin is sometimes your defense is leading the way, but you need the offense to be there and to do what it takes to score when the defense is giving up scores because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're not going to be able to hold teams. They're not going to miss the field goal. It's going to happen They're in two weeks. They're not going to stay out of the end zone. Exactly. And it could happen against some of these other teams in the Big 12. UCF. UCF could sneak up on you in a real bad way. And all of a sudden, the, the offense needs to score. So I'm pretty concerned about it. I will say, on the positive side, let's give some accolades. 
Anthony, his second 100, plus 100-yard 100 receiving game in a row. That's great. Um, very, very uh, pleased with that. I think he's um, doing wonderful. He gets wanna, himself open. He gets himself open. He's a great receiver. Yep. Receiving core is really good. They made he's, a, our, he's our best They receiver. made a great decision, his family. They said yes, in they an did. interview this week, they said, we love Michigan, we'll always love Michigan, but with that style of offense, it made sense for us to go somewhere that throws the ball, and he's making the most of it. Cause he's, Not to get sidetracked, but, you know, hello, recruits, like, Pay attention to mm -hmm. who you're committing to and what they run. Right, yeah. no kidding, no kidding. Pay attention to what the actual play on the field is and the style of ball, and what are you thinking when you go somewhere and you just get captured by the bright lights or something. Well, and you're, if you're Andre Anthony, you hope that next year in this system you get freaking Jackson Arnold throwing to you and you're like, oh, man, I, oh, I'm reaching – I'm reaching potential now. Look at look at what I'm going to do next year. There's not enough. There's not enough offense to go around if you're executing in the right way with an offense like that. The disappointments in an offense like that is you're scoring so fast you didn't get to see the other guys have sensational catches and sensational runs because you're. In, and that's back to the glory days of what we've seen in the past five years and and then behind that you know all the way back to the days of Jason White. Um, I know we keep harping on on Gabriel and Levy, but the wide receiver position has shown us so many players this season that need to be on the field. It's frustrating that we're not optimizing the talent that we have. Again, replace a Stogner so that Nick Anderson can get on the field more. Replace a Stogner so that Petaway can get on the field. Or a Freeman. Anybody, if we're going to go, you know, why are we not doing more for four wide? Four or five wide, yeah. when that's the strength of our team right now. And that's the threat. Emmett Jones has, you know, I don't know if you want to give him all the credit or not, but, you know, the receivers have been great. They're not dropping passes. No, they're, they're creating separation. Route. Separation. They're, they're, they're getting open. Blocking. Um, they're blocking extremely well. Let's utilize our strengths on the team and get our best players on the field. And if they happens to be four or five receivers every play, then so be it. Well, let me let you in on a little secret that's not a secret. If you're having great success running the ball, uh, excuse me, passing the ball, and you've got vertical routes that are open, and you've got receivers that are threatening the way they are, it's going to open up the running game. It's going to open up seams. It's going to open up opportunities. And I don't, you can't look at it and say, well, and maybe they are, and maybe they're not, but it seems like they're looking at it saying, you know what, our ratio of run to pass needs to be this. And somehow I got to get my runs up to get to that ratio. That's the wrong way to look at it. You need to look at it as what is the defense I'm facing? What is the strength that I've got in my offense right now? Let's lean on that and let the other thing catch up as time goes on. And before we get to defense, I mean, again, if you're listening to this or you're watching OU at all and you are choosing to ignore the fact that there are some massive deficiencies, not only at quarterback, but just in our overall offensive scheme, you're freaking blind. I don't, I mean, you, you are wanting, you are accepting something that is not there. And you need to really, really sit back and check yourself because it is – we, we won a game scoring 20 points today. Yeah. 20 points. It's crazy. And it, it speaks loudly to the defensive success that we had in this game that we're about to talk about. But it is so massively lacking on the offensive side of the ball. I don't even know what to say about it anymore. Well, today, I mean, the in, SMU game, we only scored 28 points. In today's football, that's a very substandard score. That's a below-average score. That is not a score that usually wins football games. If anything, that's a toss-up. If anything, that's a game that is 
one where the weather was a big factor or some other extra um, something outside some exogenous factor was was at play it's not traditional in the year 2023 how you win football games scoring just 20 well here's points. the deal uh miami of ohio who beat cincinnati scored 31 uh pitt who lost to cincinnati scored 21 so i refuse to believe that pitt or miami of ohio has a better offense than anywhere close football. well as a realist let me rein you pessimistic homers in and let's talk about the defense because that was the most positive thing you could take away from this game. Super Danny positive. Stutzman looks like the Butkus Award winner. 13 he does. tackles. Dude is all over the field. He is on pace for like 129 for the season. Tackles for loss. He looks tremendous. How he many is, fourth downs did we stuff? Every time he's I mean, where the ball needs to be. I think they went one to four on fourth where, down. Yeah, where the ball and, is. And, like and the, the fourth moments. down they converted was questionable. I think yeah. the best term for him is decisive. He yep. seems to diagnose the play and go there at 100 miles an hour. Like, he knows what's coming. And year two, has, it seems like he's completely picked everything up. He, it's, it's clicking with him, and it's clicking with a lot of guys. Um, PJ is awesome. We're going to see, we're gonna see to watch PJ. wonderful <laughs> things out of him. He was a hair away from a, a, a sack a fumble. Sack, yeah. Yeah. He, he, he disrupted the play. We were back in – we had a great game plan, I think. Uh, we we made a running mobile quarterback one dimensional in most respects. We forced him to try and beat us with his arm. He had limited success in that regard. You know he's going to complete some passes in that situation, but it was way too few for them to be successful on the field. It was a great job containing him. We spied him really well. Um, I I want to mention so we don't forget that we got a, a player in Canic who was injured. We hope that for the best. It sounds like it's. Not as bad as what was feared. Um, he was playing fairly well today. It was really, really solid play again and again. Key Lawrence is playing so good. Key Lawrence is got the interception in the end zone. He's breaking up. I mean, him among others, just the pass coverage is tremendous. Peyton Bowen in coverage it is, is just is, dynamite. If he was a junior, you'd be like, holy cow, I hope this guy doesn't go to the NFL. But the kid was in high school eight months ago, yep. and now he's flying over the field just – Batting balls down, staying covered. with receivers. Oh yeah, dude is awesome. You, you just he, he is completely with every receiver that he's covering. It's very impressive. Uh, the, the scheme's better. It seems more aggressive than last year. Yeah, nicely Ma- aggressive. Maybe aggressive that's in because, the right times. You know, we've had these guys on campus longer. Venables has been able to inst- you know install his defense more, um, and they're not having to think as much as they did last year, mm-hmm. but. The, aggress- the aggression's really good to see. They're taking the right risk at the right time. Yeah. I always harp on risk return. I think they're doing a great job in the risk return department. They're thinking things through intelligent. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say def- defensively. I think Brent Venables is a really good defensive coach. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's a, a controversial statement. Yeah. But he's just awesome. He, he just it is, It's amazing to see what he's done with these young players. They're young in two respects. They're young in that they're young. We got a lot of freshmen. We got a lot, and we also have a lot of newcomers. We got a lot of guys who this is their first season in the program, or at best their second season in the program, and they are playing like veterans. They're playing very strong. We hope they can keep it up. What I like to see from an analyzing point of view is we've made a transition here in the fourth game that we didn't make last year. Last year we come off of the Nebraska win. We're high as a kite. The homerism is going crazy. We're all drinking Kool-Aid, at least three of us. And then we go into Kansas. We, Kansas State comes into Norman and beats us. 
and it was a pretty big letdown. And what I think we saw in that game was us trying to open up the defensive game plan in ways and fold in some wrinkles of where Brent would like this defense to be at the time and thinking about where he wants it to be in the future, and we weren't able to keep up. Now we're able to keep up. Now we're able to execute, and everybody's playing their position, and we're able to add in blitzes. We're able to add in some different schemes and some different looks that are very disruptive. I think that those offensive coordinators must be looking up, scratching their heads, thinking, what am I looking at right now? What is this formation? Who is coming at me now? It's, it's, it's really clicking on all cylinders. You've got guys like Vickers coming in, um, where in a spot that I don't know it was the third series where they third swapped series of the game both corners out, um, they brought in Walker and and Vickers and then Dolby's Dolby. out there running around in the middle of the field and you're like this is the third series it's only seven to three what are these young kids doing in there Spears Jennings too but they're doing their job yep so yep. that's great to see it's great it's, it's still a little questionable that you don't have <laughs> your main guys in there but. I mean, getting these guys experienced, it'll be helpful and getting, down the road. And getting breathers for all the other yeah. guys. So we're staying and fresh. And you're not getting killed quarter. by it, which helps. Yeah. Well, and you have a couple of key guys out today, too, like Justin Harrington, where you saw McCullough was flying to the ball today. Um, he got lost the, a couple McCullough's times. McCullough's great. A couple times, yeah. Going down at the line of scrimmage was amazing. Right. You have a guy like Reggie Pearson who is out, who we all expected to play, play downhill in, in the game today where we were excited about. He doesn't play, but we, we – make up for that lack of uh, maybe aggressiveness with a person like Peyton Bowen. And I keep, I mean, Steve, you talked about it, but Key Lawrence has been such a surprise to me. Like I've, I've been waiting for that other shoe to drop for him to give up, you know, the, the big play or, or get lost in coverage. He's been in the right spot at the right time. So many different times at this point where I have to credit him where I think he's developed in a massive positive way within the system um, and he's not the only one. I mean, you, you see it across the board with so many different guys. It's, it's such an exciting thing to watch. I mean, you tell me at this point last year that we're giving up only six points to anybody. Um, like, how? Yeah, how, how? is it even possible? Well, and I, Emory Jones is not an elite quarterback, but we, we were playing backups last year who beat us. Keep this in mind. They scored six points today, did miss one field goal. They were not down to the five-yard line, two-yard line, and we're having to kind of get lucky or have a great stand, we're stopping them. How many times were they in the red zone today? Two? Yeah. Um, that we're, It's not even bend, don't break. It's just don't even bend at yeah. some points. We are, we Keep are the backbone keeping firm. them from being in scoring position time and again. Now, Anything can happen, and that's what worries me about a game you're not putting an opponent away and scoring on offense when you should, because just like last year, where the, where the offense was scoring enough, but the defense wasn't winning the game by stopping them when they needed to stop them, now it tends to be the opposite, it seems, for now, that the defense is keeping them at bay and, and restraining their scoring enough that if we just do what we should do on offense in terms of putting points on the board, we should win walking away. And that's where I think the, the problem with offense is. It's, it's a different type of lack of complementariness between the offense and the defense where the offense isn't doing all of what they need to do in terms of put points on the board to alleviate pressure on your defense. But maybe, I don't know, maybe in the scheme of things it's good for our long-term defensive development because we don't feel like we can rest on 
the laurels of the offense is going to score enough, they know they've got to stop them. And we saw, and I don't think that we're susceptible to this at all, but in the past few years where we'd get a 21-point lead and it wasn't enough because the defense seemed to just decide they don't need to play anymore. And all of a sudden, you're in a seven-point ball game, and then all of a sudden, Kansas State's beating you. There seems like there's definitely been a pride restored to that side of the football. Yeah. Um, playing defense is uh, very much a mental toughness as much as anything else. And it's it's been several years since our defense has walked on the field expecting to hold them and be held accountable to holding them and it's a mentality you have to show up with. That's a great point because defense is about loss minimization. It's not about success. Success is in, in, the, in something that you have to really understand the nuance. It's trying to minimize the losses and minimize the gain. You're not trying to get a, a, a tackle for loss every time. That's not realistic. You're saying, you got four downs to get 10 yards. I'm trying to keep you from getting in a position to go for it on fourth down. I'm trying to, to restrain you from getting an average of over three yards per 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 down and you so can't that's purpose tough. you can't purposely go and make your own success right it and has even to though come they to are you, with a lot of created are. positions right. situations but you're right they they have to and they're doing a great job at it they're doing a great job of figuring out a way to get off the field um the, the this, case of right before half the offense oh, yeah. the offense put us in a horrible spot because they go they we defense stops them they go three and out and have a shank punt, which we'll get to that later. Um, Realist rant, but maybe. But we give, we give them the ball on our 41 with, I don't know, seems like a minute or so left in the half. And they they get a couple first downs, but then Key Lawrence intercepts the ball in the end zone to get no, us they, they missed the They missed the field goal going oh, into oh, half, yeah, I think. But, key, but to your point, I mean, same, same sentiment. Key Lawrence gets that interception – of what should have been Cincinnati's last drive of that half, yeah, gives the ball back to the offense. We don't do crap nope. with that Puked opportunity. Completely, like you said, I think it was three and out, maybe one first down, but it was a quick offensive drive. And give the ball right back to Cincinnati with amazing field position. Yeah, And we see that defense do exactly what you just said. Held them to miss it's not a bend-don't break. It's we're not going to let you score. Cincinnati goes, sets up for a field goal, misses it going into half. I mean, it's just... We don't see, we don't see that. We haven't seen that. Um, not only that, it's been a long time. We don't see people. We don't see people miss field goals against us either. Well, one which other, was amazing. That was kind of amazing. And you're like not always. It's, yeah, it's, it's not always going to happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, he got that later. <laughs> well, well. Speaking of the defense and and how long it's been since we've seen it. So the stat is we held the first four opponents to fewer points than we've held those the first four opponents. To since what year? 1992? 1992. 1992. We've had a lot of coaches since then. That's a Gary Gibbs regime, uh, a defensive coordinator as head coach, by the way. How old were you, Connor? Um, 1992. I was negative two years mm. old. Yeah, I remember 1992 well. We we weren't great, and we end up losing to Texas and Kerry Cash. And I still have um, PSTD or PSD, PTSD, PTSD about that. Whatever. What are you? What are you, sm- what are you so smoking there? What are you? What are you smoking there, Steve? It's so bad. <laughs> So it, it was it was rough. I don't want to remember the carry cash moments, but um, it was it was amazing to see a six point game today. It is just a little hard to fathom that you're holding a team that is not an Arkansas State or a um, Missouri State to as few a points as that. They're not the same team, but this was a team that was in the playoff two years ago. 
they have players from that team. They have players that re were recruited by that coach, and so that's that's just very impressive and very satisfying. I mean, Emory Jones was a four-star kid going to Florida, you know, five years ago or however long it was. So, I mean, he's athletic enough that he could have hurt us today. And well, and he's seen he's – There was seen, a few plays where it was yeah. third and 13 or something, and he rushed for a first down, but – I mean, those things happen. You that's a kid who's seen a lot. Of, that's of that's a kid who's seen a lot of football. Yeah, he's seen a lot of different things in his tenure, and we made him a non-factor at the end. What of the did day. we fear? What did I fear? What did we fear? I think um, going into this game with a mobile quarterback, we feared the typical mobile quarterback keeps burning you. With yes, the defense did a great job of happen. not over pursuing mm -mm. on the ends of the field. Just yep. a couple of times today yep. did that couple. happen, and in one case they. Basically, almost had him tackled. Um, we did give up a with you know it. third and nineteen on letting him use his legs, but. and just one, just one. That's what's yeah. amazing. Yeah, one twenty-yard run that he had. And you have to give carries for forty-two yards. You've got to give some credit there to Cincinnati, right? I mean, it's it's like it's like pitchers giving up home runs in baseball. At some point, you got to credit the hitter. At some point, you got to credit. Hey, this is just a good hitter who goes and and gets the right pitch and does what he's supposed to do. And they did that a couple times, but in the grand scheme of things. Again, you you lean on that six points. That's that's crazy. Coming into this game, Cincinnati was the number twelve offense in the country um, with five hundred twenty-five yards a game. That, Let that sink in. That's, that's let that incredible. sink in. How, how many yards did we give up today? Three, three, three nine, something. Uh, three ninety-seven. Three, not a lot. Yeah. 150 short of what they've of their of their average. So it, it was 376. 376. That's unbelievable. That's great. So hats off to the defense. Let's talk about some details. And I think you could have characterized our offensive talk, our quarterback talk, our running back talk as a realist rant. There is about to be a realist rant here. I'm going to start with one detail, and we won't spend much time on it, although it's a concern, and it's something I would like to ask in a press conference. Uh, you could maybe ask Brent, but definitely a coordinator or somebody else. Why do we keep slipping on turf? This is our second game on turf, and our running backs look like they're in the ice capades. They're slipping and falling repeatedly. What's going on there? That's a concern. Do we not have the right cleats? Do we not have the right footwork? What, what is it that's causing them to slip down? Yeah, that's, that's really worrying That's low-level uh, preparedness. There's, there's no way around that. Um, not only should you not be slipping in, in general – you go out onto the field and you pre-test your cleats, and you—I'm pretty sure the team brings multiple pairs of right. cleats. So it's very odd. Either we're not running appropriate um, drills in warmups to see if our running backs can keep their their footing, or it's just bad luck. I'm not really sure, but that doesn't seem confusing. to be the case. It's it's problematic because in a game in, in an area of the game you're already struggling and you're having problems. You don't need to be falling down on top of that. That's really frustrating to me and worrisome. Okay, that's that's a minor detail maybe. Let's get to two other details that start to get more and more important. One of them completely out of our control. But first, let's talk about punting. We've got to punt the ball better than this. I'm not asking for coffin corner. I'm not asking for exact perfect placement. I'm asking for a guy with a leg who can kick the damn ball 50 yards and be done with it or longer. Just get us get get the ball, flip the field. We're not getting close to that. It is really and that's going to be something that could have bitten us in this game and cost us the game. It will cost you down the road. 
It'll cost you in against Texas. It'll cost you against a, a different opponent who's having more success. We have got to be in a better position in terms of punting. I don't understand what we're doing. It's not that complicated. Figure something out, even if you have to take crazy risk, even if you have to just say, all right, we're going to have team tryouts. Who has a strong leg? Who can kick the ball? Uh, maybe that's the way Sawchuck gets on the field. Put him back there and force the other team to call a timeout thinking that we're going to fake it, and then just let him punt the ball. And they, they may not put a guy deep because they're worried about some fake punt. And no, he's just going to kick the ball because he's really <clears throat> strong, and he can put it all the way down there. I don't care if it goes into the end zone and they have the ball in the 20. Last time I looked, having the ball in the 20 from a defensive perspective is better than if the opponent has the, the ball in the 40. I think that's better by like 20 yards. We had six punts that averaged 38.7 today. Three were in the 20, inside the 20, but um, when you needed a deep punt, like right before half. Wasn't there. And he kicks it 15 or 20 yards, whatever it was, was horrible. And you give them the ball with a minute, whatever left to yep. go score. Yeah. That they missed the field goal on, but they could have scored a touchdown in that drive. They could have. They could have been tied at halftime. Going into halftime with all that momentum or whatever that is that that that, that we saw that bite us in the ass last year. Yeah, that's scary. That's really scary. Um, it just it'd be different if if Cincinnati had some phenom back there as a kick returner, and we knew that was a big strength, and we know the, the it was in the punter's head about where there was no excuse for the punting we're seeing. What um, an extreme pressure either no nope, not extreme pressure none of that it just doesn't make sense so it's really frustrating to me and worrisome as a detail they're overlooking and not putting appropriate emphasis on well and to note and just back to your original statement around turf we play on artificial turf two more times this year so we'll Still play water. in oklahoma state and we'll play in uh, in lawrence they lawrence. have artificial turf and and one of those is going to probably be and a pretty tough game lawrence will not be easy no that now and and as much as we can talk about how bad Oklahoma State is, that's easily a game where weird things can happen and you're in a position where you're not able to um, put a team away because you've shanked a punt and you've fallen down on the field and all of a sudden now you're, you're uh, in a, a dogfight you shouldn't be in. I want to get to another detail, and this will definitely be a rant. And that is, what the hell is going on with officiating in this conference? <laughs> this is absolutely pathetic. No, it's, we it's, saw it's, it's fair. It's fair. For, yeah, no, no, it's, it's totally, It's yeah. fair officiating. So we saw, we saw a pass interference called on, o, on OU that was... A 50-50. A very ticky-tacky. Very ticky-tacky. Yeah. Okay, let's let that go. Yeah. We saw in the end zone a receiver completely blatantly knocked down well before the ball was anywhere Long in the area. Long enough to be knocked down by the same guy that then adjusted almost an almost to make an interception. Yeah, nearly that's, make that's an That's how early it was. It was unbelievable. And the official by what, what Lucas saw, you, he yeah, was... Yeah, the official was giggling, talking to the defender when they when they went through the cutaway to show the replay. They zoomed in, and the official's laughing with the with the defender. Like, oh, oh they were, really got away with that one. No, they were just talking. You know, it's not. It's no big. There's there's nothing there, right? I mean, there's nothing to be said about uh, a Cincinnati receiver coming down with the ball out of bounds uh, after clearly what, out of bounds. What I see and is only what I see is only there is. yeah yeah all two of them that Fox was showing. Yeah, there's nothing there. He at was all. clearly out of bounds and. I'm, I'm going to give the idiot announcers a pass that they didn't key on, in on saying that there's something there. They seem to not want to criticize it, but it's it's just 
absolutely infuriating that the officiating is this poor. I'm not going to call it necessarily um, a conspiracy, but one could definitely get a conspiratorial mindset about what the hell's going on. What are we doing? Um, this is an expletive podcast. Yeah. Fuck that. It yeah. is a conspiracy. It is a conspiracy at this point. I, I, br- your mark was at the game today. It w- like I, it would not have shocked me one bit for them have panned to this replay booth and your mark sitting over the shoulder of this guy reviewing these plays, saying, "Oh no, I don't see it. I don't see that. I don't see the the foot that's uh, of out, of out of bounds. I don't see the the pass interference or." You know what? What else? The, the, the blatant offside. targeting call. Yeah. The, the targeting call that was yeah. not called. So Gabriel's running. He goes down he in a slide. And it's a late hit. They call the late hit. And they don't even bother to think about it being a targeting. Which it clearly was shoulder to targeting. Yeah. But crown, crown of the helmet down. Contact to the, the helmet the of Dylan Gabriel. Shoulder to helmet. At, yeah. After he has slid. After he's in his slide. Yeah. Which is how he got and knocked out last it, year. The, Textbook. Targeting. Luckily, they call the personal foul, but that's a personal foul with targeting, in my opinion. And they didn't even replay it. Like, they didn't go to review it. No, don't even go review it. So you have another one. You default to targeting in that situation. You have another one where we're called for offsides for a defensive back lining up in the neutral zone, which he wasn't. Yeah, Dolby's a yard off. It's clearly that he's not once you look, when you go back to the play. But put that aside because an official can make a mistake there. On the same play where we get the sack, we're held blatantly no doubt about it there's holding going defensive on defensive end comes all the way around the back gets held from behind and still and hits, still makes, makes the, the sack, sack but and, but got held yeah should so have been offsetting the, penalties they called the foul on us we're watching this uh this notre dame ohio state game right now come down to the wire and they're throwing they're throwing pis left and right for for rightfully so we saw plays that were more blatantly obvious than some of these that we're seeing right now that were not called today the one of the big catches that Andrew Anthony had downfield, I think it was about forty yards. The defender doesn't turn. He's got Anthony's left arm held down. Doesn't turn. Anthony makes a he makes a great catch to pull it down. No flag. Amazing catch. You make the catch, but it's you're still supposed to throw the flag. Yeah. There was the pass to Stogner, where Stogner turns to catch the ball. The defender runs into him, and the ball hits the back of his helmet because he didn't turn around. And that was on a third and, I don't know, third and eight, and he was at the sticks. Yep. No call on that one. How do those not get called? Well, what I want to get to is just thinking about it from a selfish perspective of the Big 12. They need to think about this because you need to almost think about overcorrecting here. You've got something that is brewing where you've got two major programs who are leaving, OU and Texas, and many others who are criticizing the officiating in this league They've got to be considering, are other people going to want to play against you? What are they going to think? It's, it's rinky-dink. It is something that is a knock against your league. It's a knock against your brand. And newsflash, your brand is suffering. You're about to lose Power 5 status in the eyes of most of the people that watch college football because of the transition that you're making. And, yeah, you've done a great job of... of maintaining the league and bringing these other teams in, whereas the Pac-12 is folding. You're becoming the AAC. You're becoming the AAC. You're becoming something that's a secondary league that's going to be laughed at and looked down upon and question, do we want to play them? Do we want to schedule a Big 12 team knowing we're going to get some home cooking when they're officiating? That's here's, really Here's concerning. what's exciting. Houston comes to Norman next year. I mean, 
it's it, we're this is not Which whatever will bring Big Twelve officials exactly. So whatever we feel right now, whatever we feel down the stretch in this season against whomever we play, um, it's not over. So and what's, I, it's what, pretty ass. What's sad is, I watched a bunch of Big Twelve games today, and it's the same head officials. Now I don't see the side judges and all those, but the same head officials were White at hats. the Kansas game, were at our game, was it were at the Oklahoma State game. It's the same guys. So the same guys that failed last year miserably are the same guys that are going to do this again this year. Oh, absolutely. They're not turning the staff over. And it's something they need to look at. But it, it speaks to how weak the league is and, the dif- and, and sort of all the difficulties they're facing. And it's a detail that's important. Um, it, it is something that is really frustrating because we're on a, the receiving end of a lot of, of difficulty um, because we're the ones who are, we, we think in our eyes, are being punished for this situation. And it's, it's very frustrating. What other frustrations or good things do we want to talk about before I get to a final question? I'm excited. I mean, like, so again, guys, like we're, we're 4-0, right? I mean, we're, in the grand scheme of things, there's, there's this proverbial hump that we've all been talking about. Um, we've all been, fe- I think we've all been feeling it more than anything else. And with the people I talk to, um, talking about how nervous they were going into this game, how nervous I was going into this game. What we did today from a defensive standpoint, I, it's so wildly 180 degrees of what we've normally felt. But I also know, I think the most frustrating thing for me is to see the amount of talent that we have on the offensive side of the ball that is being unutilized or underplayed in a lot of circumstances because of limitations at quarterback and what we see as limitations in play calling. Um, I want to see, like, I, I'm, I'm starting to get on the Lucas train, which is freaking terrifying. Does it scare you? It's so scary because I am starting to get on that train of Jeff Levy's, Jeff not, Levy's not the guy. Nope. And if Jeb, Jeff Levy wants to prove himself as the guy, who does he need at quarterback? He needs Jackson Arnold at quarterback. Yeah, it's it's a little premature in a way to say anything about Levy to, to a small degree because, like you said, if, if Jackson Arnold's in the game and he, he hits the throws that we know he's capable of hitting, you know, Levy's an afterthought. You know what I mean? It, it's a – Jackson Arnold makes those plays and there's no talking about Levy. Well, Levy might be great with Jackson Arnold. Right. We're not – we're we're not convinced that Lebby can't win championships and be championship level. Some football. of us are. You're convinced of that? Yep. I think Brent Venables is too scared to sit down or too prideful to sit Dylan Gabriel down. I think if Lebby went to to Brent Venables and said, "Look, this is my guy, Jackson Arnold. I want to play him." I don't think Brent I don't think Brent Venables would do it. I think it's more of a knock. I think it's more of a knock on Brent Venables than it is Jeff Lebby. Well, I'm ready to be proven wrong with Dylan Gabriel under center. But I'm just not convinced I'm going to be proven wrong. I'm pretty sure we're in a situation where we're going to come up short as a result. And I'm concerned about that. But I do think if Jackson Arnold becomes the quarterback, that a lot of sins will be forgiven by victory and success. And that gets us to the next level. So I want to ask the question, what do we think OU's record's going to be? Have we changed our mind about any of that? We're now 4-0. I think it... 
starts to become a challenge, I'm going to challenge you, Lucas, on the nine and three. Do you have to change the nine and three at this point? I think I have to because the defense has proven that they're good enough to keep us in tough games and that the Big 12 is so bad. Looking at the rest of our schedule, Texas is the number one standing in our way team, and then maybe the road trip to Kansas. UCF is, I know. And UCF is, offense is really good, So, but we get that at home, so I'm not as worried about that one, but that's three games. Surely we could win one of those three if we don't win all three. I mean, who knows, but I would say now seeing the defense doing what they're doing, as long as we don't have a Danny Stutzman injury or a Billy Bowman injury or something along those lines, I, I, I'm ready to go to 10 and 2. 10 and 2. Any change for you two? You were at 10 and 2, right, Jay? I think it's 9 and 3. No, no you were at 10 and 2. I wanted to be 9 you, and 3. You were 9 and 3, <laughs> then you moved it to 10 and 2. Any um, changes? No, 10 and 2 still feels the same. Um, sitting here today, I don't think we beat Texas today. Um, Kansas is definitely a scary, scary game. I'd, I'd say right now, if I had to look at it, those are two. With the with the rematch of Texas, Connor changed from eleven and one. Yeah, I I changed the ten and two after today. Um, with Dylan Gabriel under center, with what I've seen in offensive play calling, I adjust I adjust one loss um, back down to ten and two. I until I see some sort of continuity and some sort of confidence that we can go and put teams away on the offensive side of the ball. You ha- you have to in this league. You have to. And I don't I don't care who it is. It's someone someone at at some point the defense cannot bail you out game in and game out. We do not have a Georgia defense where that defense is going to win you every single game on your schedule. And we scored 20 points today. 20 points against a good a good front 7, I guess. A good front 7. Um, I don't think it's good enough to. I don't think it's not it's a go- great front seven. It's not a great front seven, but at the same time, someone's gonna look at a some film and they're gonna say this is how we win. And I, I think our defense will have to be on the back foot where we need the offense to to basically step up and and take over for us. I don't see that. I don't see it. So, and Steve, you said it last podcast. Like we could have won today, and you may adjust. I'm in that boat. We won today, dominant defensive performance. Offensively, I am very, very, very shaken and rattled after today. So, I was 11 and 1, and I'm going to maintain 11 and 1, but it's a very uh, shaky 11 and 1. Um, the only reason I'm not moving us down to 10 and 2 is because the Big 12 is as weak as it is. And we. We have a fairly weak setup with the remaining teams in terms of who we play. Now, that said, Kansas is looking to be maybe one of the tougher or toughest, I don't know, second best team in the league potentially, who knows. UCF could give us trouble, but we get UCF at home. Kansas beat UCF today? Uh, I assume they did. Did Kansas, Kansas beat UCF? State UCF. Kansas, yeah, State. Kansas State. Did Kansas State beat yeah, UCF today? Yeah, Kansas State did. Oh, it hasn't happened yet? Okay. So, regardless, uh, UCF is a difficult opponent. Kansas is a difficult opponent. Texas is a difficult opponent. 
So I'm very narrow on moving us to uh, 10 and 2. I'm going to keep us at 11 and 1, but I'm not real confident in it. Um, what do you got? What's this? So K-State's up 31, 14, 24. 24 with 10 minutes to go. So again, Might need to flip we that avoided over. Kansas State, but we um, Still one second. we definitely have a difficult go with several teams like UCF. Um, at BYU scares me. At BYU should scare you. It should. Um, I just don't know about this team. I don't know if we've got what it takes to get to 11-1. and one. That said, I'm going to root hard. I'm going to think that we have a good chance of, of winning every game that we're going to play. I think we can beat Texas. Um, I think that we'll rightfully be an underdog at this point, but things could change. Um, Texas got a know. big game next week. It's, it's interesting that we're in this position, and I think that a lot of people at 4-0 and would be I don't know if they started thinking we're going to be 8-4 and four or what, but if you, if you look out there at the popular opinion, everyone seems to be riding high on the Sooners, whereas we're backing away from it a little bit. Um, our confidence is a, a bit shaken by it, and maybe we're just shell-shocked and we're expecting things um, that are unrealistic. I don't think so. So I'm concerned about it. I'm going to keep us at 11-1, and one, and I'm hoping I'm wrong because I'm hoping we're 12-0. and 0. But uh, we'll see. We'll see down the stretch. We've got Iowa State coming to town this week. Um, we'll have a, a midweek pod where we'll, where we'll give a good preview for it. That should be a good warm-up for what happens in the Texas game. And um, we'll, we'll see what the, the last two-thirds of the game uh, will finish. I'd like to give a shout-out to our, our sponsor, Tobacco Exchange. Remind you of the buy four, get one free special that they're running through the end of September. Until the midweek pod, Boomer Sooner. Sooner.